when, when, when last we left our hero, Moses, as they used to say at the car, in the cartoons when you were a kid, when last we left our hero. It was the end of chapter 5, and Moses had come away from the meeting with the, um, with the children of Israel who had gone to Pharaoh, and uh, remember we talked about the fact that he said, you know, that he, we stink in his sight. So Pharaoh, or Moses, pretty dejected. And in verse 22, 23 of um, the fifth chapter, uh, you know, why have you done this evil to the people? Why would you even send me? For since I've come to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's done evil to this people, and you've not delivered your people at all. What was Moses expecting? What was he expecting? Expected to go before Pharaoh and, and just say, let my people go, and Pharaoh said, well, okay. Just let you go. That's what he was expecting. According to this, that's what he was expecting. You've done evil in the sight. You've not, you've not even delivered the people like you said you were going to deliver them. And so as we switch to chapter 6, God answers Moses' squabble or whatever you want to say about Moses, whatever he was saying, that you haven't delivered my people. So the Lord says to Moses, now you'll see. You'll see what I'll do. With a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of the land. This is what I will do to Pharaoh. Because in verse 2, he says, I am the Lord. I am Jehovah. I am Yahweh. And then he talks about the covenant. <clears throat> the covenant that he delivered to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, where he was called El Shaddai. And now he's going to, call, he's going to have them call on the name of the Lord. And establish a covenant with them. So as you go down through there, you read about the covenant that he's established with them. And he's going to say, go to Pharaoh. Tell him to let my people go. In verse 12, Moses kicks back yet again. Children of Israel have not listened to me. They won't listen to me. How will Pharaoh listen to me? The Lord spoke to Moses and gave them a charge that he would go and speak to Pharaoh. And really the rest of chapter 6 is consumed with the genealogy of Moses and Aaron. So I'll let you read that on your own. Now we skip to chapter 7, verse 1. <clears throat> the Lord says to Moses, See, I have made you like a god to Pharaoh. Now why would you suppose he'd say that? He says, I'm going to make you like a god to Pharaoh. Well, he amplifies that. In verses 2 and 3, when he says, you'll speak all that I command you, and you'll tell Pharaoh to let the people go, and I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart, and I will multiply my signs and my wonders. And by doing all this, Pharaoh will not listen to you. And so after the signs and the wonders, then he's going to lay, then he's going to lay his hands on the people of Egypt and bring my host and my children of Israel out of the land by great acts of judgment. They will know that I'm the Lord when I stretch out my hand against them and bring the children of Israel out from among them. And now we see a change in Moses after this. Moses Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord had commanded them. And so now begins the signs and the wonders, the hand of God, all of this working through Moses. 
Moses is going to be the one who demonstrates God's power. So in this, in this way, when God says, I'm going to make you a god to Pharaoh, it's not God coming and doing these things in front of Pharaoh. It's Moses doing these things, but God is the actor behind all of these things. Moses is going to throw down his staff. Moses is going to raise his staff across the land, and things are going to happen. These are things that are going to happen because God is doing them. Moses is the actor, and Aaron is his spokesman. And so we get to the first sign, chapter 7, verse 10, or verse 9. So he goes to Pharaoh, and this is who we think was the Pharaoh of the Exodus. This is Moses the third. There are some who will say that Akhenaten the second was. Akhenaten the second was his surviving son because his firstborn died. And so his secondborn son, Akhenaten the second, took his place when he died after a 52-year reign. He's the warrior king. And so Moses goes before Pharaoh and he says, cast your, and Moses, uh, Pharaoh says, do a miracle. Prove yourself by working a miracle. When I read this, or when I read this initially, I thought of something else in the New Testament. What did, I th- what, what, what did you think of when you read this? Jesus before who? Herod. Herod was fascinated with Jesus. He didn't understand, he didn't understand the Messiah. He didn't understand the purpose of why the Messiah was here. He just wanted to see some kind of physical sign. He said, he said do a miracle, do a wonder, do something. Because he had heard he'd changed water to wine. He had heard he'd healed the blind and the, and the, the deaf and, and the mute. And he says, do something. Show me something. Pharaoh's the same way. He says, prove it. Prove yourself by showing me a miracle. If he shows him a miracle, is he going to let the people go? No, he's not going to let the people go. But do, do a miracle. Do a stunt. Do a trick for me. And so Moses throws down his rod. He throws down his staff onto the ground and it becomes a serpent. We talked about that last week. The shepherd with the staff, the shepherd becomes the monarch. The the, the snake is the sign of the monarch. Every Egyptian hieroglyph that you'll look at in some way at some point will show a snake. Snakes were very sacred to the, the people of Egypt. And so Moses cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants and it became a serpent. Realize that every instance when Moses is doing something like this, he's not doing it in front of Pharaoh alone. He's doing it in front of a whole lot of people. And those whole lot of people toward the end are going to say, hey, why don't you just let these people go? I mean, they're, they're, they're killing us here. Let them go. It's always Pharaoh, though, that hardens his heart. It's not the people. The people have had enough of it by, you know, probably seven or eight you know, of the plagues that come about. They've had it. So then, seven, chapter 7, verse 11, he summons his wise men and his sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt. Who are, these, who are the magicians of Egypt? Who are the magicians of Egypt? We're told. Are we not? Who are the magicians of Egypt? You don't remember? I'm trying to find the scripture. I know who they are. Janus and Jambres. Remember those names? In the New Testament, I'll get you a, I'll get you a scripture if, if you need one. Janus and Jambres are the two magicians. They cast down their sword, they cast down their rods, and they become serpents. <clears throat> I have an article here. 
Egyptian magicians, snakes and rods. I'll just read a couple of things from it here just to enlighten you. The magicians of Egypt in modern times have long been celebrated as adapters of charming snakes. You've seen over in the Orient people that charm snakes with the pipe and the cobra. Yes? Seen that? Particularly adept at charming serpents, and particularly by pressing the nape of the neck of the snake, they throw them into kind of a catalepsy. In other words, they throw them into kind of a a state of rigor, if you will, which renders them stiff and immovable, thus seeming to change them into a rod. They conceal the serpent about their person and by acts of magic produce it from their dress, stiff and straight as a rod. Just the same trick was played off by their ancient predecessors. The idea that a skilled magician could use a snake in such a way is no novel concept in the world of magic tricks. Walter Gibson, in his book Secrets of Magic, states that a certain type of snake that can be made motionless by applying pressure just below its head. He also notes that the particular species of snake suitable for this stunt happens to be the Egyptian cobra. A magician from Tucson wrote or writes, turning a rod into a snake, for instance, is easily accomplished by the same method modern-day magicians turn a cane into a flower or into a handkerchief. I've seen the cane to snake performed by several great magicians. Believe me, it's impressive. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, make a note of that right out in the margin of your Bible. 2 Timothy 3.9, those are the two magicians. So we even have their names. But what we don't have is when they cast their rods down and they became snakes, Aaron's rod ate the two, ate the other snakes. That was something they could not duplicate. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened. We're going to see that term a lot as we go through these chapters, that Pharaoh's heart is hardened. Is there, is there a modern application? And I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this, but I want to make sure that you understand that there are modern applications to this. How do people harden their hearts toward God today, much as Pharaoh hardened his heart? How do people harden their hearts today against God? They close their minds. You know, they say, this is, this, is, this, is not, this is not a book from God. Come on. The atheist, you know, has said in their heart, the, the unbeliever has said, there's, you know, there's no God. Y'all are just a bunch of flat earthers. People harden their heart to God by procrastination, which is one of the things I thought of, by putting it off. Well, that all makes sense to me and everything, and Neil and, and Hiram talk about this a lot. Well, tomorrow. I'll get to it tomorrow. I'll take care of that tomorrow. They do that by putting off. And they do it by, you know, by just directly opposing God. I'm not going to do that. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. You're a creature of free will. But think about that. There are ways, there are ways that people harden their hearts against God even today. So man has not changed in low these many thousand years. So... Pharaoh hardens his heart, 713, he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. So at every turn, God has already illustrated to Moses what's going to happen. There are no surprises here. 714, the first plague. See if this works. Ooh, that's too scary. Go the other way. Let's go that way. This is Hopi, the god of the Nile. 
Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he's going out to get water, or going out to the water, and stand by the bank of the Nile and meet him. And take the staff that turned into a serpent, and say to him, Let my people go, but so far you have not obeyed. By this you will know that I am the Lord. Behold, the staff in my hand will strike the water of the Nile, and it shall turn to blood. The fish shall die, the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians shall grow. The Egyptians grow weary of drinking water from the, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. So he takes his staff, he holds it out over the water, turns the water to blood. Everything, everything in the Nile. What is the? We asked. We, we talked about this last week. What does the Nile represent to the Egyptian people? It represents life. What better way? What better way to strike? Fear into them by drying up, or not drying up, but making the water that they drink every day that they use as a part of their very life blood, as it were, turn it to blood. Now look at this. This is very interesting, 722. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. Well, think about that for a second. Moses turned the waters to blood. What water is left? Water, the water, all the water is blood. So all that these guys could do is take a small vessel of some kind of water that might have been somewhere in the in the palace and use some kind of incantation or something to turn it to some sleight of hand to turn it to blood. What they thought was blood, just enough to fool the Pharaoh, because the waters of the Nile had already been turned to blood. You can't turn blood any bloodier. There was no water left. And so he struck the Nile, and the waters turned to blood, and the fish dried. The fish died. The Nile stank. Have you ever been around? I, I know that I've been. There have been times I've been around the Mississippi River. Boy, there's a smell to a, a river that just gets in your head, and you, I can't. You can't get it out. I mean, it stinks. Dead fish and dead this and dead that. I can't imagine. I can't imagine. So the magicians tried to do the same thing. On a smaller scale, obviously, there was no, there was blood throughout the land of Egypt. His heart was turned, to, or his heart hardened. He turned and went into the house. He did not take even this to heart because, obviously, the magicians had fooled him. Well, we can do this too. Here, look, here's a cup. Okay, we turned it to blood. Look, all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water from the Nile for seven days. Seven days they couldn't have water, and they had to have they had to dig beside the Nile because the the need for water is is paramount for human life. Humans cannot live without water. And so chapter eight opens with the second plague. Go to Pharaoh and say to him, the same thing that you said every time before, let my people go, that they may serve you, that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague the country with frogs. Frogs. Hecate. Hecate was the god of the frogs. These people had a, these people had a god for everything. They had, a, they had a god for cats and dogs and mice and this and that. They had a god for everything. Thousands of gods. This is Hecate. What do you notice about Hecate? He's a frog-headed god. That's how sacred. That's how sacred Hecate was to the Egyptian people. So he strikes the life of the people, the water. Now he's going to strike one of their most sacred gods. Frogs were very, very, <clears throat> frogs were very, very sacred to the Egyptian people. Very sacred to them. Frogs will swarm. 
Frogs will get into your house. They'll get in your bedroom. They'll get in your bed. They get in the houses of your servants and your people, striking everyone. Nile, turned to blood, strikes everybody. Frogs, everywhere, strikes everybody. Frogs will come up on you and your people and all your servants. Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters, and the frogs came up. And the magicians did the same by their secret arts. Well, if you're covered up with frogs, how are you going to know a few more frogs? Are these frogs different? Do they look different? So again, the magicians are trying to, by imitation, do something that Moses or Aaron did, and pretty soon they're going to run out of the ability to do these things. God just keeps upping the ante. He just keeps upping the ante with these people. So Pharaoh calls to Moses and Aaron. He says, plead with the Lord to take away the frogs and from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Well, here we go. Only took two plagues. He's going to let them go. No, he's not. He's... Go ahead. Yeah, I'm sure the quantity of frogs is the, is the divider there. Uh, you know. The quantity of frogs that would come. I mean, come on. You, you frogs, in, frogs in your house? Frogs in your bed? Frogs in your bed? Yikes. So they went from Pharaoh, cried to the Lord about the frogs as he had agreed with Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. And the frogs died out in the houses and the courtyards and the hills. So now, when, now do we not have any frogs? We've got a whole lot of dead frogs. And dead frogs, verse 8, or verse 14 of chapter 8, gather them together in heaps, and the land stank. What a wonderful picture. When Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he let the people go. Yay, end of the story. No. Harden his heart, would not listen to them, as the Lord said. Third plague. What does your Bible say is the third plague? This is very interesting across translations, what what different Bibles say. What does yours say? Gnats. Okay. Anybody else? Lice. Lice. Anybody else? There's at least one version that says mosquitoes. Some of the older translations say mosquitoes. Of the three, which would you rather have? None of the above, if it was my choice. You ever walked into a you ever walked into a swarm of gnats? Oh Lord of mercy, that's just awful. I'm just everybody. Anybody ever had lice? <laughs> Nobody's going to raise their hand. When I was in first grade, I got head lice because in first grade, and those of you who are older will remember, you used to hang your coats on a peg when you come to school. And you hang your, hang, your, hang, hang your coat next to Nan, Nasty Nancy, who you know, didn't take a bath but probably every Saturday night. And those things just crawled onto those. And I got head lice when I was a kid. I had to have my head shaved. If you've never, have, if you've never had lice, RID is the product you want to use. It's a little pharmaceutical plug there. You don't want lice. You don't want lice. And it's gotten really, it's gotten really, it's gotten really bad in modern society today. They say you can't even go into a store now and try on a bathing suit that somebody else has tried on for fear of getting something that that person might have had. I mean, it's bad. Mosquitoes. Everybody loves a good mosquito, or at least a good mosquito bite. Mine says gnats. We'll go with gnats, mosquitoes, whatever you want. 
It's fine. This is Gab. He's the God of the earth. So Moses says, or the Lord says to Moses, stretch out your staff and strike the dust. The dust of the earth. He's going to strike the dust of the earth. He's going to strike the ground. And the ground, the dust on the ground is going to turn to gnats, mosquitoes, lice, whatever you choose. All the earth became gnats in the land of Egypt. Uh Uh-oh, verse 18. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. Now they're turning. This is the first group that turns to him. The magicians turn to him and say, this is the finger of God. Pharaoh wouldn't listen to him. Hardened his heart. Fourth plague. Rise up early in the morning, present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to water, to the water and say to him, Thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me, or else, if you will not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and your houses, and the houses of the Egyptians will be filled with swarms of flies, and also the ground on which they stand. Now something different. Now something different. He's going to set aside the land of Goshen where the, the Israelites are, But on that day I'll set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell that no swarms of flies will be there that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Go ahead. Uh, Well, we know the Nile Nile to blood was seven days. But we're not really given a time frame other than this could be be days. I mean, how how long would people put up with having gnats? I mean, surely someone's going to come to Pharaoh fairly quickly and go, like the, like the magician said, this is the finger of God. We can't do this. So the rest of these, the rest of these plagues, we're not told about time frames. How long would you like to be covered up with flies? I mean, you know, you go to a picnic and you have a few flies. We're not talking about a few flies. We're not talking about just a few flies. We're talking about flies that cover everything. Okay. Now, my one example is, I won't, go in, I won't go into depth on this, but I will just tell you. When I was a policeman in Austin, Texas, I took a call of check on the welfare of. You know, what that, you know what that is, right? Check on the welfare of someone who hasn't been seen in a few days, an older person usually. I got a call to check on the welfare of this individual. I drove up to the house, and the first thing I noticed was that the windows had been blacked out. There was some kind of covering over the windows because every window in the house was solid black to my vision. And the house was probably from here to the back of the auditorium from me as I'm standing outside my t- patrol car. It turned out those windows were covered with flies because the person inside had committed suicide. The windows were literally black with flies. Okay, So if you don't have that picture in your mind... Get that picture in your mind because that's what's, that's what's going to happen. This is not just a few flies. They're gonna be, you're going to be covered with flies, flies like you've never seen flies before. Great swarms of flies in the house of Pharaoh and his servants' houses throughout all the land of Egypt. The land was ruined by the swarms of flies. Not only, not only are they destructive, they carry disease. Pharaoh says, verse 25 of chapter 8, Go sacrifice to your God within the land. All right, we're done. Yay, no more plagues. It would not be right to do so, Moses says, for the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? 
We must go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God, as he tells us. Pharaoh says, I'll let you go into the wilderness, only you must not go very far. Moses says, behold, I'm going out from you, and I'm going to plead that the swarm flies but departs. And from his people tomorrow. So we know this one started and had some kind of a had some kind of an ending point tomorrow. Was it was it just a couple days? Only not let don't don't let Pharaoh cheat us again by not letting the people go. So Moses went out from the Pharaoh from Pharaoh, and the Lord did as Moses asked, removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh. And chapter eight verse thirty two ends with Pharaoh hardening his heart again and not letting the people go. The Lord said to Moses, chapter nine verse one. Go to Pharaoh, let my people go, that they may serve me. If you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold the land, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel will die. The Lord set a time saying tomorrow... The Lord will do this thing in the land. And the next day the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but none of the livestock of the children of Israel died. And Pharaoh sent. He sent someone to look up in Goshen. And behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead. The, heart, the Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not let the people go. No. Oh, there's Crepe. He's the god of the fly. I told you they had a God for everything. Had a God for everything. Couldn't kill a fly. Couldn't kill a fly. That's sacred. Can't kill flies. <laughs> Hathor and Apis. Hathor is the goddess of love. She had a son. His name was Apis, and he was the uh, he was the god of cattle and livestock. When the children of Israel first came into the land of Egypt long, long ago, they brought a new type of cattle with them. A cattle, a type of cattle that the Egyptians had never seen. It's a very sturdy, it's a very sturdy cow. Um, has has a good long life. Uh, it's, it's good for food, um, and this this is now the predominant um, herd animal that the Egyptians have. What do you notice about this? Because there's going to be a there's going to be a question that's come up. I have another I have another article here somewhere. I don't know where it is. It's underneath this one. It's called cattle contradiction. What do you notice about this? Because it says it's going to fall on the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. Well, it fell on the horses, and all the horses are dead. How does Pharaoh have horses to chase the children of Israel later on when they leave? What's the key word in all of this? What's the key word or the key phrase? I'm sorry? Well, God is always there, but there's a key phrase in, in, this, in this chapter that says something about why that this is not a contradiction, because that's what somebody's going to ask you. Well, it says he's going to kill all the horses. Read, read the verse. Read the, it's in the verse. It's, in, it's right there. Huh? In the field. In the field. In the field. So if I take all my horses and my cattle and move them into a covered area, are they going to die? We're going to find the same thing with the cattle, with the murrain of the cattle in that plague. They put the cattle in, cattle don't die. Leave the cattle out, cattle die. 
Okay, so those of the Egyptian people that believed by now what Moses was saying are going to take their herds and they're going to put them inside so they don't die. And that's how Pharaoh has horses to be able to chase the children of Israel later on when we get to the, the uh, parting of the seas. So it's that key phrase in verse 3. Behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field. Don't say anything about if your horse is in a barn. So you put your livestock in a barn, you move your livestock into a barn, nothing's going to happen to them. Next day the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptian died. Again, one of their gods is being directly opposed, and they lose every time. If there's nothing else that you get out of this by the end of all of this discussion today is God wins. There's never a time in the Bible that you read a story where God does not win. His will will be done. God wins. We talked about the fact that God brings order out of chaos. You can see this here. God wins. And put it in Daniel's words in chapter 9 of Daniel, God rules. He put Pharaoh in place. He put Pharaoh where he is. He made Pharaoh who he is. Pharaoh had free will to learn about God and to let the people go. And he hardens his heart again and again and again and again. But God wins. God wins in the end. So I've just told you the end of the story. Now you don't have to. No, you do. Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead. He hardens his heart and would not let the people go. What's, what's wrong with Pharaoh at this point? What's wrong with him at this point? Pride? Ego? That doesn't get in our, that doesn't get in our way today, does it? That doesn't, that's, not something we, that's not something we have a problem with today, is it? Yeah, we don't have problems with pride or ego. We have, pro- we have problems with pride and ego. We have problems in submitting. We're a free people. We come and we go. We do as we please for the most part. Some of us, according to the news these days, do a little more than, than they should be able to do, but I'm not going to get into that. But no, one wants to, no one wants to submit. No one wants to submit to God. No one wants to be called a slave of the Lord. You know, that, that's, that's, just, that's poison on their lips. They don't want to be, a, they don't want to be considered a slave. But God says, you're either going to be a slave to the world or you're going to be a slave to me. Take your choice. you got a choice. Yes, ma'am? It would be. It would be. But I think, the, I, think the biggest, I think the biggest driving thing for him at this point is he's been shown again and again and again. He's had magicians come to him and say, we can't do this. This is the finger of God. So past that point, I think it's ego and pride. You know, you're not going to do anything to me that's going to make me let these people go. That's basically what he's saying. When someone says they're hardening their heart, they're basically saying, there's nothing you can do to make me become a Christian. There's nothing you can say. There's nothing you can do. Yeah. Well, I mean, people with large egos, people with, with, you know, with, with a lot of pride, don't they take things as a challenge? Well, you're not going to do that to me. I'm, I'm better than you are. You, you're not going to do that to me. We probably can't God. Sure. Yeah. Right. You're regarded as God. When you walk out of the palace, no one looks at you directly. You've seen this with other kings and Caesars and, and people like that. They, they lower their eyes because you're looking, on, you're looking on God. 
You don't make eye contact with Pharaoh. If you make eye contact with Pharaoh, that's the last thing you make eye contact with. Sure. Yeah, there's not, yeah. Yeah, I don't have, I mean, I don't, I don't have descriptive words to be able to tell you the kind of power that these people wielded. But their power is infinitesimal. It's not, infinitesimal is not even a good word. Their power is nothing compared to the power of God. I'm surprised, I'm surprised God has, well, we know that God is a God of patience. But if I had been God in this instance, I'd, I'd have smote the whole lot of them. I mean, that's just because that's, thank God, thank God I'm not God. Because, I mean, he's, he, has, he has way more patience than I do. I, I just don't, I don't have the bandwidth for that. I just don't have the patience. So, go ahead. Sure, sure. Certainly, and certainly the Caesars, certainly the Caesars didn't bow the knee to God. You know, so here again, another example of a world power. The leader of a world power who is a god, the leaders of the leaders of Rome and Greece who were gods in and of themselves, they're not gonna they're not gonna bow the knee. To, they're not gonna bow the knee to some invisible, uh, invisible being that some preacher tells them is you know the god of the universe. So sixth plague. Oh, it's a lovely one. Chapter nine, verse eight. Take handfuls of soot from the kiln. Everybody okay with soot from the kiln? Ashes from your fireplace? Okay? You got a picture? And let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. So he's going to take a bunch of soot. He's going to throw it in the air. And it will become a fine dust over all the land of Egypt and become boils breaking out. Anybody ever had a boil? Anybody ever had a boil? Really? In this whole group, nobody ever, nobody's ever had a boil. How, aren't they wonderful? Don't you, don't you just really... You see a boil, you see, you get a boil, and you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm just, yeah, no. One of the mummies from this time, and I cannot remember if it's Moses the third or if it's Amenhotep the second, show evidence of having some kind of a skin lesion on their mummy. So if they were living during this time, it's very possible that those that those lesions on the skin are. Um, are from this. I, I don't know that. I've just seen I've just seen photographs of the mummy, and I've seen the, the, their lesions on the dried skin of the mummy. I know at least one mummy that's been discovered in Egypt had smallpox, and scientists were able to take the the vesicle, the smallpox vesicle, and take a scraping from the inside and rehydrate the smallpox. It, it lays dormant for that period. It lays dormant for that long. So boils. Stood before Pharaoh, threw it in the air, and became boils, breaking out in sores on man and beasts. And with this one, verse 11, the, the, the magicians couldn't even make it to the meeting. They couldn't even they couldn't even get to the they couldn't even get to the, the throne room because they had boils all over them. And I understand if you read Job, Job wasn't Job smote with boils from the top of his head to the bottoms of his feet. Boy, that Satan's driving a Satan was dri- Satan was driving a hard bargain on, on Job at that point in time. Boils on the soles of your feet? Yikes. Magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. Because the boils came upon them and upon all the Egyptians. And again, Pharaoh hardens his heart. And one we can, one we can all relate to. Let's see, that was the God of livestock. 
Ashur was the god of the air. And so this is the one that, that typically would have been the one um, that uh, uh, ashes turned to boils and sores. This would have been Shur. The Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning, present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews let, says, let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you, yourself, and your servants. So we're changing the dynamic yet again. Now these plagues are not affecting just the, now they're not affecting uh, the land of Goshen. They're just sending, he, now he's going to direct them on the plagues on yourself, your servants, your people, so that you may know that there's none other like me on the earth. So he's going to shield the children of Israel in Goshen from the rest of these plagues, with the per- well, the re- uh, from these plagues. For this purpose I've raised you up to show you my power. You are still exalting yourself against my seat. Now see, he even says, for this purpose I have raised you up, talking to Pharaoh. Shown you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. And you are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. I will cause very heavy hail to fall such as never has been seen in Egypt from that day as it was founded until now. Now therefore send, he's given him ample warning. Get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter. This is where the in the field thing comes back. Get them Get them into safe shelter for every man and beast that is in the field is not brought home will die when the hail falls. Verse 20. Then whoever feared the Lord, the word of the Lord, among the servants of Pharaoh. So now the people are starting to turn. They hurried their slaves and their livestock into their houses. And whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. And we know what happened. Stretch out your hand toward heaven. That there may be hail in the land of Egypt and on man and beast and every plant in the field. He stretched out his hand toward heaven. The Lord sent thunder and hail and fire. This is Imhotep. He is the God of, I'm sorry, I'm one behind. He is the God of, uh, he is the God of medicine. Yeah, he, that's a real, Imhotep was a real person, um, but he was a father. He was, the, he was such a very famous doctor in the land of Egypt when he lived that he became a god. He became the god of medicine. And so that would be the one for the boils. Sorry. Here we go. Nut. She's the goddess of the sky. This is the goddess that, when the, that was directly confronted with the hail. So the hail struck down everything in the field that was in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. Verse 25. Hail struck down every plant in the field and broke every tree. Okay, so now you're getting a picture of what it looks like. Only in the land of Goshen, when the people of Israel, where the people of Israel were, there was no hail. And so we have now the hail coming. Pharaoh says to Moses and Aaron, this time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Well, that's all well and good. What are you going to do? So he's repenting by saying, I got caught. I'm sorry, I sinned. I got caught. So the thunder will cease. The key words, the key verse here for the last couple minutes that we have. The flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear and the flax was in bud. The wheat and the emer were not struck down, for they were late in coming up. And so he hardens his heart against he hardens his heart against the uh, against God again. He did not let the people go, and that's the end of chapter nine. Beginning of chapter ten, whatever's left in the fields, now God's going to strike the food sources. Okay. So go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart, and tell him in the hearing of his son and of his gra- and of your son and of your grandson 
how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. For if you refuse to let my people go, verse 4 of chapter 10, I will bring locusts into your country. What does the Bible call locusts? Do you remember? What does the Bible call locusts? Do what? Yeah. The Bible in Joel, in the book of Joel, if you go over to the book of Joel, locusts are called God's army. They're, they're God's army. When he, sends, when he sends an army, he sends an army. And they're going to devastate, they're going to devastate everything. Seth is the god of disorder. And this is the one that probably would be, would be most um, affected God-wise in the Egypt, with the Egyptians. Covered the face of the whole land, chapter 10, verse 15, they, or verse 14. They came up over the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country. They came from the east. An east wind blew them in. They ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had, had, had left. Not a green thing remained, neither plant nor field, throughout all the land of Egypt. And in verse 16, Pharaoh hastily, hastily calls Moses and Aaron. says, I've sinned against the Lord. Again, he's repenting, but he's not going to do anything. Remove this death from me. So he pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord turned to, again a very strong west wind, lifted the locusts and drove them out into the Red Sea, and not a single locust was left. And Pharaoh hardened his heart yet again. Stretch out your hand, he says, for the ninth plague. Darkness over the land. Now he's going to strike at the very fundamental, the very fundamental God that the Egyptians have. Even people who don't know anything about Egypt have heard of Ra. Ra is the, Ra is the God that fights at night and defeats the other gods. And when the sun rises, Ra is victorious. That's how the Egyptians look at it. Ra is victorious. He is the creator. On his head is what? His head is the sun. He is the sun god. And so God is going to say, stretch out your hand despite, over the land of Egypt and darkness to be felt. There are, several interesting, there are several interesting things in this verse that talk about darkness. Anybody ever been to Mammoth Cave? Or any kind of cave where they go in and sit you down and they turn the lights out? Can you see this? That's a darkness. This is worse. This is the darkness that makes you... They tell you to sit down before they do that because they don't want you standing up and fumbling and falling over other people. This is a darkness that you can feel. People don't even leave their houses. They're groping around in the dark. He is not the creator God. He is not the Lord God Jehovah. In their panoply of gods, he is the greatest and God even defeats him. And so now, Pharaoh says, go serve the Lord. Let your little, leave your little ones behind, only your flocks and herds. Or your little ones can go with you, but leave your flocks and herds behind. And Moses says, no, no deal. Our livestock and everything must go. 1027, Lord hardens Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh says in the final analysis, get them away from me. Take care, you never see my face again, for on the day you see my face, you shall die. And Moses said, as you say, I will not see your face again. And so next week, the final plague and the freedom of the children of Israel. We'll talk about the death of the firstborn. We'll talk about the institution of the Passover and the people going out of the land. Thank you.